Hello and welcome to another urology podcast for the School of Surgery. I'm Susan Clayton, a surgical trainee, and I'm here today with Mr Harry Rattan, a urologist from Nottingham. Today we're going to be talking about renal colic. So, Mr Rattan, how would someone with renal colic present? Hi Susie. Well, renal colic, as you know, is one of the most common emergencies that's seen in A&E and in the surgical assessment unit. And the typical presentation is a so-called acute onset of flank pain, which radiates into the groin, so-called loin-to-groin pain. Um, The history is usually fairly short in terms of hours, and the patient reports a pain dull at first with colicky exacerbations, which can be quite severe, and most patients will score it as, you know, 8, 9, or 10 out of 10. The patient usually can't get comfortable and finds themselves rolling around in agony and there's often associated nausea, anorexia and vomiting. And what might I find on clinical examination? It's worth making the point that it's often quite tricky to examine the patient because they're in so much pain so there's absolutely no problem in administering some decent analgesia to get them more comfortable so you can take a good history and examine them. Renal colic as such usually Um, doesn't have that many clinical signs attributable to it but what you're examining them for is to exclude other potentially life-threatening conditions. Um, The particular conditions I'm I'm thinking of are a ruptured um, abdominal aortic aneurysm if it's a more senior arteriopath or a ruptured ectopic pregnancy if if it's a young female patient of childbearing age. Other diagnoses that may be um, suspected after your examination are appendicitis, pancreatitis, and other gynaecological conditions such as torted ovarian cyst or pelvic inflammatory disease, or even other urological diagnoses such as acute pyelonephritis. So if someone like this comes in to see us, how should I begin to investigate them? Urine dip is a very valuable investigation which can be done straight away. 85% of patients with renal colic will have evidence of non-visible haematuria on a urine dip and the dip may also help exclude UTI. I would send a, a panel of blood tests with particular reference to the renal function and full blood count, although at this stage it might also be worth considering checking the serum calcium and uric acid as occasionally um, these can be elevated in stone forming patients. Once all the straightforward tests have been carried out and and some analgesia has been administered, it's uh, essential to organize some urgent diagnostic imaging. Now traditionally, plain abdominal radiographs and intravenous urograms are used for the diagnosis of renal colic, but in recent years, both of these have been superseded by a non-contrast CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis. Now the advantage of the CT are several really. First of all, it's a very quick test. Secondly, it doesn't involve any administration of intravenous contrast like the old IVU, and this is intrinsically safer. Thirdly, it also helps to exclude other significant abdominal pathology within the limits of the non-contrast test. The downsides are that it's expensive, and it involves the administration of a decent dose of radiation, which we have to be aware of, particularly in patients who present recurrently with this kind of pain. However, 
there are very few stones that do not show up on CT, so its accuracy and speed make it the ideal investigation. So if a CT scan shows that someone's got a stone, do we just give them some analgesia and let it go on its own, or do we need to try and give them something to help the stone come down? Well, the management of, of the renal colic depends quite clearly on several factors, some relating to the patient and their clinical condition, and some relating to the stone itself. So the first point to make is that if the patient has a stone and has a temperature, this is potentially a very dangerous scenario as it could imply that the patient's developing a pyonephrosis, which is when an obstructive kidney subsequently becomes infected. And essentially, this is a condition that needs to be treated very urgently, otherwise um, the patient can develop rapid onset of septicemia and subsequent multi-organ failure and death. This can happen even in otherwise young, healthy patients. The other scenario where um, conservative management is never a good idea is a patient with a solitary functioning kidney. Even though they may be well at the time of assessment, it may not take a lot for the kidney to become more obstructed and, and for the clinical condition to deteriorate. Both of these will require immediate treatment and perhaps we could talk about the, the means in which we treat that in, in, in a little while. For patients who are, however, completely clinically well um, and have a small stone, and by small I mean less than five millimetres in largest diameter, then it's absolutely perfectly reasonable to treat them conservatively. They do require some decent analgesia and they are advised that these small stones have a decent chance of passing spontaneously. In recent years there's been a bit of evidence that shows that the administration of an alpha blocking agent such as tamgilosin, if administered orally, um, does help um, the chances of the stone passing. Indeed, it may improve the spontaneous stone passage rate for these small stones by as much as 20%. There are some large trials going on to look at this in more detail. So what options do we have available if the stone's larger than 5mm? Other stones which are bigger probably won't pass, so stones between 5 millimetres and one centimetre and certainly stones over one centimetre are extremely unlikely to pass spontaneously and the patient may not need emergency treatment if they continue to be well and pain-free with no signs of sepsis but we generally plan some treatment for them at a convenient time within the next couple of weeks. Okay so just finally you said that we'd arrange some treatment in a couple of weeks but say if the stone was larger and it's causing obstruction and affecting their kidney function, is there anything you can do in the meantime to try and relieve the obstruction? So this goes back to the um, question of the, of the pyonephrosis or the obstructed solitary kidney. If it's felt that the stone is causing obstruction, which is making the patient unwell for whatever reason, then the key is to unobstruct the kidney. And this can be accomplished in one of two ways. The most straightforward way is to pass a percutaneous needle through the back directly into the caliceal system of the kidney and drain the, the obstructed kidney by means of a pigtail drain. And this is called a nephrostomy and this is by far the, the most preferable way of managing an infected obstructed kidney. Um, in the UK this is usually done by a uroradiologist. The other way of unobstructing the kidney is to take the patient to theatre and perform a cystoscopy um, and then pass a ureteric stent 
via the ureteric orifice in the bladder all the way up the ureter, hopefully past the obstructing stone and into the kidney. This does require general anaesthetic and relies upon the urologist being able to get past the obstruction. So most uh, urologists in the UK would prefer a nephrostomy if the patient is acutely septic, as this can be done under a local anaesthetic. And if the kidney is uh, highly obstructed and hydronephrotic, it's technically usually straightforward for the radiologist to, to be able to drain the kidney. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Vatan. So we've covered today um, renal colic. We've covered how it would present to us in the surgical admissions unit, examination and investigations, and then management going from a very small stone to a much larger stone, and then any immediate management as well. We really hope you found this podcast useful. Keep your eyes peeled for some more urology podcasts coming soon on the School of Surgery.